Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. There is so much we can do to make this world a kind of better, happier place. There is so much we can do to change the world. If you want to support It's Good to Know and the work of Rabbi Manus Friedman, please visit itsgoodtoknow.org forward slash support to join the community. On this episode of Ideas That Change the World, Rabbi Manus Friedman talks with David Naster. David. Hello. Hi. What's funny? Hi. <laughs> oh, open your eyes and your ears. It's, it's, everything's around us. <laughs> just listen. Just listen to it. <laughs> I just, I don't know about where you are right now. I just got a text on my phone and uh, it's been raining here nonstop for four days. And the text read, just simply read, 100 cubits by 80 cubits by 62 cubits, get working. Noah, that's all I got. <laughs> yeah, this is the week. This is the week. We're reading about it in the Torah. This yeah, that's right. That this Parsha coming up, see? Yeah. I just realized that after you told me. <laughs> Current. Yeah, but most people I would ask, what's new? How are things? With you, I just say, what's funny? What's funny? Well, I, I got... Uh, um, I, I saw the, uh, you know, in last week's Parsha, I, you know, briefly we've talked before and it, it hit me again because of um, the first words, the first four words that were spoken by Hashem, let there be light. And, and I realized, and we may have talked about this briefly before, but I realized, let there be light. Yes, let there be light. Let there be joy. Let there be funny. Let's... Uh, take every bit of light we can out of the darkness and make it joyous and not stay there. Yeah. That, that was one of my interpretations after hearing those four words this past week. Keep it light. That's good. Cause I, because I've been, I've been, you know, I've been wondering what, okay. So there's night, there's darkness, there's night, day and night. But at the same time in the darkness, in the night, there's still not darkness. There's still the reflection of the, the, the moon. There's still the reflection of the stars. There's still the reflection of the water. So I realized Hashem doesn't want total darkness, total nothingness anymore. So that's why I will bring humor into the darkness, not as a way that maybe it's not necessarily funny, the darkness you're going through, but to bring the lightness, the joy, so we don't stay in that nothingness, that darkness. You're such a philosopher. <laughs> Well, I, I listen to ZionChabad.org. <laughs> Actually, I think the moon is not there to prevent total darkness. The moon is there to enable us to have insight into the beauty of the darkness. Ah. Ah. How's that for a twist? <laughs> And I got And I'm going to add another twist, so we'll have a so I'll have a full challah here, okay? <laughs> and that is, okay, is it possible the moon was given to us because we can't accept all of the sun, the energy of the sun, all that energy Hashem without some kind of reflection, because we can't take it all in. So I thought maybe that moon is there for us here to reflect that joy and that light and that insight. <laughs> and I and I, I move the next chess piece over to you now. Yeah, well, you know the words of the um, music of the night. Oh yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about—the guy with the half a mask. Yeah, Phantom of the Opera. Ph- Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. So the words there are really, really powerful. Turn your face away from garish light of day. Sometimes ah. the moon. You know, being very bright, being very, can be garish. It can be vulgar, um, cold, unfeeling light. There's no romance to the day. Whereas the music of the night, it's got a certain charm. It's got a certain romance to it. Yes, it does. So the moon is not there to chase away the darkness. The moon is there to help you appreciate 
the beauty of the darkness. Ah, nice. Very nice. You know, you ought to think about being a philosopher yourself. You know that? <laughs> Give up my day job? <laughs> <laughs> what? What, and quit show business? Right. <laughs> you know that one about the, you know, about the guy that, that's shoveling the elephant dung, you know? Yeah. You, heard about it, you probably, yeah, that one. Give up show business? Give up my day job? No. <laughs> Never. Exactly you know totally appropriate. You know what's interesting about that about that rabbi is this. There's a very interesting about that elephants that we talk about this. This is a very interesting thing that I start doing the humor that I do with bullying with kids. And I realized this. This was taught to me by a trainer in the circus uh, with the elephants. Hmm. And it's he said, David, if you ever noticed when the elephants come in the circus, which when when there was a circus, there was always a trainer with a with a wooden stick and a hook on it. And he said the reason that trainer that was there is that in case that elephant got out of line, they knew they knew where that nerve was on the back of the elephant's ear, and they could literally take that hook, hit the nerve on the elephant, and bring it down. Hmm. So the elephant would stop its action. And that's what I talk to kids about and to people when they want me to talk about humor and bullying. You can't let the people – people are trying to get your nerve, and that's what's going on right now. You talk about what's funny going on. People are trying to get your nerve right now, and you see it all over the news and everywhere and where you walk. People are trying to get your nerve, and you can't let them get to that nerve, especially when they're going for it. And the only way that I found out when people try to get your nerve is when they look at you or they say something to find some joy in the words that they're saying, to find something funny about the words and turn it around because you can't let them get to your nerve. Hmm. It's a good defense. It works. It works because we don't stay there. But I love that. I love that about the, 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 the moon lets us appreciate the darkness. So the moon has a very important function. Yes. And, and, and that's why it's not always visible. And it's sometimes visible partially, you know, a quarter moon, half moon, full moon. It, it's degrees of which you appreciate and then when there's no moon at all, that's when you really need to use your talents. Find the beauty. Which means that sometimes what you don't say is more significant than what you do say. Because? Because that's the unrevealed. That's the night. So in the dark, there's, there's beauty and there's mystery and there's... There's power. Not everything has to be visible. Not everything has to be exposed. I was so, listening to your... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Excuse me. So sometimes the moon is full. It's giving you the full um, dose of appreciation of things that are private, that are intimate, that are personal, that need not be spoken or, or expressed and then there are times when the moon doesn't help you at all, and you got to do it yourself. Isn't that what you talked about? I listened to your, and I don't know what chapter it was, and Tanya, I was listening to you talking about the importance of the, uh, how God gives us in the unrevealed. Yes. And that the unrevealed is more powerful, closer, more intimate than the stuff that can be revealed. So, so and I think, Rabbi, it's because you have to work for it. I think it's because, and what I mean by work for it, you got to use your brain, which is the connection anyway, you know, the connection, the chokmah, to, to their, our brain. Th that causes us to go in there and find it, doesn't it? Yes, that, that's one of the benefits. But, but God is not hiding stuff just to see how hard you can try. Some stuff really thrives on being hidden. Like, you know, your internal organs are internal because that's how they function best. If they were exposed, they wouldn't do so well. Okay. So some, some plants grow from direct sunlight. Some would, would be killed by the direct sunlight. They, they grow better in the shade. So is it safe to say then that sometimes it is given, us in the, it is given to us in the unrevealed um, because we do have to look for it? Is that possible as well? Yeah, but why do you have to look for it? Because by its nature, it is, not, it is not obvious and it's not on the surface. So if it's not on the surface, you've got to look. So if I may, if I may with that, with the work that I do, with how important humor and joy is 
in the darkness when we go through the tough times. So we have to find it. Right. We have to find it. There's a story, a true story, that a, a guy came up and told me after a presentation that I did. And he said, David, I went in to see my best friend who had his leg amputated to diabetes. Well, I'll admit, Rabbi, there's nothing funny about that. And he said, I walked in there, and there is my friend with one leg because of the amputation laughing. He said, I was crying. I didn't know what to say to this man. And here this man is laughing. And I said, what are you laughing about? How can you laugh at a moment like this? And the guy with one leg said to him, how can I not laugh? Read that card somebody just sent me. And the card read, get well soon. I hope you get back up on your feet and crossed out feet and wrote foot. You and he said, it. you got to look for it. That's what I mean. In the unrevealed, you got to look for it. And the guy said, and, and the, the man with the one leg looked at the other guy and said, that's why I laugh because I have to deal with this. And the way that I deal with this is by finding some joy, some humor into it, so I don't stay depressed and I don't stay down. And that to me, Rabbi, right there is one of the proofs of why humor and that light, let there be light, let there be lightness too, not just light, but the lightness of heaviness. Let that come in and help us get through that. Doesn't take away the seriousness, doesn't take away the importance at all. What it does do, is it helps us function and, and maneuver, like you said, and see some beauty in the darkness. You know the Leonard Cohen line? And one of his Which one? The cracks are what let the light in. Ah, nice. Leonard Cohen. Yeah. yeah. You remember the song? I guess I could find it. I could always Google it. Yep. The cracks let the light in. Yeah, the cracks are there to let the light in. So all art, I think, is true. I mean, it's true of all art, uh, comedy being an art. Every art sees something that is not obvious on the surface and brings it out. Yes. A photograph, unless it's artistically done, doesn't see anything that isn't already visible. So art means seeing the unrevealed, seeing the unspoken and bringing it to the surface. That's so true, Rabbi. And I think what happens with some people, I just, I just had this insight by what you just said. What happens is when we use humor, which you know that's what I do and how humor helps people get through the dark times, the tough times, what some things I know people forget is we're not taking away the importance of it. We're not taking away the seriousness of it, of the dark time or the tough time. Well, but what we're doing or the cracks, what we're doing is letting there be light, letting there be some lightness in this, whether it's the light of God and the, again, the heaviness, I know I'm repeating myself, but let it be there. And the most important thing to, about what I'm saying, it's okay to find some humor in it. It's okay to laugh. Just because something's serious doesn't mean we can't laugh at it. And just because we're laughing at it means, doesn't mean it's serious. It's not serious. Right. If you can laugh at a problem, it means you know how serious the problem is, but there's, there are parts of you that are even more serious. There's more to you than the problem. And that part of you can laugh. Yes, sir. And that means now we are in charge and can manage the problem. The problem is it managing us? And if I may draw this analogy that I've been studying, Tanya, is now, now the animal soul does not run us at all. We are not completely involved in our emotions. Now we can step back with that godful soul and we can manage that. That is the parent helping the child. I think we once, we once spoke about the difference between living and existing. Yes. That there are things we need to do to exist. And then there's the privilege of having a life, which means making a contribution, making a difference to existence. Yes. So all problems and all cracks affect our existence. They never affect our lives. And that's why people who have cracks, meaning 
difficult existence, painful existence, can still have a very meaningful life. In fact, many times, the difficulties of the existence, the squeezing of the olive, actually brings out the best oil. People become more alive, make a greater contribution, because their existence is nothing, uh, nothing, nothing to get excited about. So when our existence is, is bad, and it, and, it, and it can get very bad, when our existence is, is painful, um, even seemingly impossible, and we turn our attention to what is life, like Viktor Frankl said, in the concentration camp, your existence was miserable, but the opportunity for life was incredible. He calls it meaning, but it's the same idea. I'm, gl I'm glad you said that because I was having some difficulty with that about the difference between existence and life because I was thinking, but, but the existence is your life, isn't it? The existence is your presence. A person can be present for 120 years, and he's got to get a life. He's got no life. Like it's, he's just surviving. He's not dead, but he's not really alive. So all the things that we do that consume our, our days and sometimes our nights is all in response to the need to exist. To exist, I need to eat. To exist, I need to sleep. To exist, I need to drink. I need friends. I need love. I need support. I need, I need, I need. And then when I have all of that, what have I accomplished? Just existing. Yeah, I can wake up in the morning and, and need it all over again. Mm -hmm. So wh when do I start to live? What is life? Life means whether you have what to eat or not. Are you concerned for your neighbor? Is there something you can do to make life better for them? Or make their existence better, which would give you a life? In other so, words, Rabbi, is that, giving, is that giving meaning to your existence? Pardon me for interrupting. Is that giving meaning to your existence? Yes. And existence needs meaning because by itself, it's not only meaningless, it's depressing. Sure. So when sure. people say, what is the purpose of life, they're confused. That's not, a, that's not a good question. The question is, what is the purpose of existence? Because existence needs justification. You take up space, you use up resources, you need this, you need that, give me, give me, give me. How do you justify that? So the question, why are we here, is a very good question. But, the, but, but it's directed at our existence. You never ask, what is the purpose of life? What is the purpose of existence? And the answer is life. The difference that you make, the contribution you make. Just so, your existence. Okay. Which, where, where, where my thoughts are leading me here is my study of Tanya right now, and existence basically is the animal soul. Am I correct on that? Yes. Existence so you know is the I'm... animal soul, and you want to bring some meaning to that animal soul, right. then you've got to let the godly soul come in. Right. Right. So when the, when the Torah says... If you uh, follow the commandments, you will, uh, you will have a good existence. The rains will come in time, you'll live in peace, you'll live long. What it's basically saying is, if you serve God and have a life, then your existence will be good, meaning justified. So it's not really reward and punishment, is just the natural repercussion. The more life you have, the more justified your existence is. So if you did some good, you're entitled to an existence. 
You didn't do any good. You're not entitled. You didn't. You didn't earn and justify your existing uh, present and your your right to demand and to pursue your needs and to ask God to give you your needs. All of that is justified if you're making a contribution to life. Yes. One of the ways I found out, because I know what this is about, about ideas that change the world. Again, you know what I do, which is about how humor and laughter help people get through difficult times. One thing I found out, Rabbi, is this. If I'm so involved in my existence or I'm so wound up in just doing what pleases me and my pleasure, and I'm so wound up in that and I can't find any meaning in that, or I get upset about things, the one thing that I found that can break me, that one way to get through that crack is to laugh at myself, to find the humor in what I do that I think is so important to living once I see that, once I realize that, I give an example. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm working on a book I, I did a while back. It was called, it was called, uh, 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 I can't remember the name of it. Um, uh, wake up, shut up, get on with your life. Something like that. I'm working on how you have to uh, find the joy in life and quit complaining so much. And I'm writing this book. And while I'm writing this book, I realize I am more sad and more depressed than I've ever been in my life. And I'm writing a book called Shut Up, Quit Whining, Enjoy Your Life. And I sit back at my desk, Rabbi, and I start laughing that I'm upset because I'm going through a very painful emotional divorce and going, I'm writing a book about this, and I'm doing the same thing right now. And as soon as I started laughing about that, I started writing that in the book, Why You Have to Find the Humor and Enjoy Yourself. And right there again is that laughing, finding the humor in myself, and that's that light coming through that crack right there. That's what I found out that really helps us get through that way we get wound up with ourselves. Your thoughts about that? Uh, continuing on the theme that we're, that we're talking about, the, the humor, the, uh, the irony, the, the, the silliness and the pettiness that we make fun of, all of that is existence. Yes. But we yes. never mock life. See, that, that's sacred. There's no mocking of life. Life is never frivolous. <clears throat> life is never petty. Life is not, a, not, is not a, the butt of a joke. But if we can ridicule our existence, it really does liberate us and uh, help us get a life. So all humor, all humor is uh, humbling our own existence because it needs to be humbled. It's, there's nothing to be proud of when it comes to existing. So Because we're just existing. We're just existing. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's embarrassing. Like a bump on a log, that's it, I'm here. And I'll be here tomorrow, and I'll be here the day after tomorrow, as long as I keep eating and drinking and sleeping. There's got to be more than that. And, and that's correct. So, uh, you know, songs like, I did it my way, I got to be me, it's all about me. <laughs> you got to make fun of that. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, you do. Um, I, did, I did someone a favor, I helped someone. There's nothing funny about that. And that should not... No, but there's joy, but, but there's joy in that. <clears throat> Real joy, yes. True joy. Mm. When, so, I, when I came up to meet with you, I didn't ask you this question. I'm sorry, did I interrupt something you were going to say? You keep doing that, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I get so excited as I'm talking about this. I hope your listeners are going, well, that guy, shut up. <laughs> I want to hear the rabbi. I don't know this little guy talking. Who is he? I want to hear the rabbi. <laughs> Thank God we don't have a call-in show, because people would be calling and go, tell that guy to shut up. <laughs> You are funny. What <laughs> when, when we, thank you. When we were talking and you said life isn't funny, and one thing we talked about, some of the work that I do with hospice and with grief, and you were talking about how inappropriate it is to, to laugh uh, at a funeral and how inappropriate it is in Judaism 
to laugh at that moment. And I want to tell you this true story. Now, the people were not Jewish, but I want to tell you this story. I don't think I told you this story before and get your take on it and to me why it's okay to find joy and humor in this moment. And here's the story. It's a true story told me by the best friend of the minister who was there. Grandpa died. He wanted to die in his home. Hospice was there. Grandpa died. As soon as Grandpa died, the family started a prayer circle, and they started praying. At this sacred moment, the phone rang in the house. Nobody would stop and answer the phone. On the ninth ring, the recorder phone went off, and the voice on the recorder phone was obviously whose Grandpa's. And what did everybody hear at this sacred moment? And it was, hi, I'm not here right now. And at that moment, the woman said, everyone looked at each other, and they kind of, they appreciated the absurdity of that moment. And they, is it okay to laugh? And they kind of smiled. And what, when they really started to verbally get the laughter out is when Grandpa said on the message, and leave a message, because I'm not sure when I'll be back. <laughs> and, and then they all started laughing at this moment. Now, Rabbi, here's an honest, joyful moment that's real and couldn't be more absurd, and they're finding joy in laughing. Would you say that's appropriate? That is, that is really, really fascinating. Fascinating. I was just thinking of a similar event. There was this um, eulogy going on, and people were talking about this guy who was a uh, Persian rug salesman. And he came from Persia, and he built up the business, and so on and so on. And everybody was being very, very serious about him, and everyone mentions. He sold Persian rugs, he, made, he built a business, he made a business. One guy got up, who was close to the family, and he said, can we be honest? The man never sold a rug. <laughs> He would sit there in the store reading to Hillen. <laughs> he was reading, he was down, and, and he gave the stuff away for free to poor people. He never sold a rug. What do you do? And <laughs> the, relief. the relief. But what, what they were laughing at was, what are you getting so serious about his rugs? There was so much more to him. He had a life. Yeah. Right, so when when, when Grandpa comes on the line and says, I'm not here, I don't know when I'll come back. <laughs> what it's telling you is there's more to Grandpa than whether he's here or not. Ah! He's not here means he's not existing. That doesn't mean he's not alive. And that brought out the living Grandpa. It burst the bubble, you know, like... It's not about his being here or being there. It's not about the existence, is it? Right. Right. Grandpa is real, whether he's here or not. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, he can even be funny. <laughs> <laughs> when he wasn't trying to be. <laughs> yeah. When he wasn't even here. <laughs> Like Isn't that the truth? Most humor coming from heaven. <laughs> uh, let there be light. There it is again. It, it just keeps coming back to that. Yes, very good. Very good. Anyway, so just recently, I'm talking to somebody about um, ideas that can change your life. We're talking about forgiveness now we're coming from yom kippur what, what does forgiveness mean now, on a human level you did something that really hurt me you did something against my will i didn't want you to do it you did it anyway and now i'm hurt but you come and you say forgive me i didn't mean it i won't do it again so fine so i forgive you what what is what is the dynamics there what are the mechanics of I was angry, now I'm not angry. I resented you, now I don't resent you. I was offended, now I'm not offended. How does that work? And, and does it mean, if you can forgive me, then really how offended and hurt were you to begin with? If you can just turn around and say, okay, never mind. 
Oh, so, so you really weren't hurt. And that's why you can forgive, because the offense is by its nature forgivable. So if I want to be angry at you about it, I can. If I don't want to be angry, I don't have to be. Because what happened was not that significant. But when you're asking God for forgiveness, that, that can't be the explanation. It's not like God says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Yeah, but if you do and you're nice about it and you ask, you, know, you say, I'm sorry, then, then fine, then it's okay, I'm not angry anymore. That, that can't be. Because the, the, the morality of Torah is absolute. Remember a guy who said to me, yeah, I cheated on my wife. No, but it's okay, she forgives me. So excuse me, but uh, I'm not sure that it's up to her to forgive. Because you didn't just offend her. You didn't just hurt her. You violated wow. one of the Ten Commandments. So, and that, that's if, if, he, if he was having an affair with a married woman. Then you're violating one of the Ten Commandments. Your wife can't forgive you for that. She, she can forgive you for the personal hurt for the insult, for the whatever, but not, not, not for the violation. So the violation of a commandment is absolute. It really is wrong, essentially. So, so what do you mean? Oh, it's okay. I forgive you. What does that mean? So we're talking about it. And it turns out something like this. I think you'll appreciate this. What is wrong with a sin? Like, for example, adultery. You can, you can go through a whole list of things. What's wrong with adultery? Well, you're obviously not a very honest human being. You promised to be, to be loyal, and, and you didn't keep your word. So you're a liar. You're dishonest. Can't trust you. You're no longer trustworthy. Shame on you. Okay. There's a regret there. I didn't mean to destroy my, my, uh, my reputation. Then there's the regret. I really hurt my wife. I really hurt the woman I'm committing adultery with. In other words, I'm causing damage to people. And that's regrettable. And I want to be forgiven for that. But again, if, you, if you're committing a sin, all of that is not enough. So it's not whether this has damaged your reputation, whether it hurt the people around you. You violated a commandment, meaning it itself, whether there was damage or there wasn't damage, it itself is reprehensible, unacceptable, and, and should be unforgivable. So adultery is wrong for no reason, not because it's going to hurt somebody. Like a victimless crime is still a crime. Because what's wrong is essentially wrong, with or without consequences. So what happens when you ask God for forgiveness? When you sin, you're going against God's will. You're ignoring his presence. You're ignoring his, his instruction or desire. When you regret, what is it about the sin that you're regretting? If it's not the damage, if it's not the consequences, if it's not the punishment that you dread, but you really regret the sin, what, what is it that, what's going on? What is, what is this process? What's happening is you regret doing something against him. Because what is a sin? Something God hates. That's all. That's the definition. If you're not looking at the consequences, what is it that makes a sin a sin? God hates it. That's it. That's all. When you regret 
the fact that you did something God hates, you have discovered the God within the sin. Usually when you do a mitzvah, you contact godliness. You're in touch with godliness because God is in the mitzvah. But God is also in the sin. How is God present in a sin? He hates it. So when you discover God's hatred for the sin, then you have discovered God within the sin. And now the effect of the sin is the same as the effect of a mitzvah. You're closer to God. But if you regret the sin because you're afraid of the punishment, the consequences, the damages, that's not real tshuva. You haven't really changed anything other than your mood, and you're very likely to commit the sin again. But when you realize the thing that is wrong with a sin is the fact that God hates it. So, it's like if you hurt somebody's feelings and you come and say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do what I did. Yeah, but you're still not focusing on me. Or you go and say, I, I hope you're not angry at me. I hope you can forgive me. You're focused on you know, Yeah, the first two words are I and me. Of that's, that statement. That's right. <laughs> so if you come to God and you say, you know, I committed this sin, I hope you're not going to send me to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Just for that, you're going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> for that kind of an apology, you should go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. It's like, it's really I know funny. I hurt you, but is this going to hurt me too? <laughs> That I don't want. No, I don't want to get hurt. Yeah. So I guess that's similar to finding the beauty in the darkness. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And, and I, I, I remember studying um, the, one of the mitzvahs. I believe it was in uh, 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 Don't Bear a Grudge. And something that I didn't realize is that in Judaism, uh, we are only required to forgive when somebody comes and asks us for forgiveness. Yeah. We don't, we don't have to forgive. And well, I, I thought about that because when I, you know, when I'm in Yom Kippur and I'm asking for forgiveness for something I did that's directly against, again, I harm somebody else. But what I realized is God doesn't like that. And I uh, ask him to forgive me for that. I have discovered the only way that I can hope to forgive, hope to forgiveness will happen is, is to never repeat that again. That's what I've discovered. You know, when, when, when I ask them, you know, we, we talk about in uh, amends, when you make amend to somebody. And I've found out the only true amend I can ever make to somebody is to never repeat that again to yeah. them. Yeah. So it's in, and and one thing I was just listening to, um, I believe it was chapter thirty-two, uh, and Tanya, I was listening to it, and one of the things I love about, especially about Yom Kippur, and about that is I walk in there with an awareness of what I've done, and I admit that awareness to Hashem, <laughs> even though Hashem goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> Right. That that to me is the funny thing about that. When I go to Hashem and say, I did this, Hashem's going, yeah, I know. I, I wonder when you're going to come tell me about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I, I found that, and I listened to one of your videos and watched one of your videos about, you know, going to, you know, sitting there all day in Yom Kippur and go, oh, I'm such a terrible person. Look at all these terrible things I've done to hurt all these people. And, and to realize, uh, no, I can, this is a great moment of awareness for me. An amazing moment of awareness. So I'm thinking, why don't I do this every Shabbos? Why don't I repeat this every day? Go to bed at night, have that awareness. What have I done today that I can be better? What thing can I do so I don't 
So I do have a better relationship with Hashem. So I don't do things that Hashem doesn't like. No, not a, not doesn't like. It's a direct sin. Yeah, a little piece of Yom Kippur every day. Why not a piece yes. of Yom Kippur every day? <laughs> Sounds like a calendar, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it's good. It's good. A piece of Yom Kippur every day. Very good. Yeah, the, maybe, maybe maybe it's a new candy line. The sweetness of the sin. <laughs> a piece of Yom Kippur every day. You only get the piece of candy. It's it's like a, what was that? Behavior modification, B.F. Skinner. It's, it's operant conditioning. You know, if you admit your sin, you get the candy. <laughs> yeah, you certainly get the relief. Yeah, yeah. That's what's fun to me. That's what's fun about talking with you and doing this is is to find the humor, the joy in all this heavy stuff we're talking about. I mean, this is this is important things. It's heaviness. Uh, to me, it's not darkness, but boy, when you find the joy and appreciate the fun in it, then it, it makes me more excited to do it. it. Makes me more excited to want a joyful relationship with Hashem, with you and everybody else. Because you find the light. There's that light word again. You find the lightness in it. Yeah, joy is more powerful than than sadness. So people have this idea that if you if you come to God all broken up, crying on your knees, begging, desperate, then he hears you. But if you come in a good mood, he doesn't, even, he doesn't pay attention. <laughs> Again, like he didn't know anyway what you were doing. <laughs> yeah. That's a funny thing to me. Yeah, but the point that you have to ask, have to ask for forgiveness, you don't, we don't forgive people who don't ask for forgiveness. It, I mean, the logic behind it is, if it's nice to forgive without even being asked, then certainly God, who is much nicer than we are, already forgives us without our asking. So we nev never have to apologize. We never have to ask him for forgiveness. That's right. That's right. Because he's so nice. He's so nice. Well, he forgives us anyway. Yeah, sure. Sure he does. He's God. Right. <laughs> And there, there is that, to Rabbi, too, there's that awareness. Again, I always get back to that. There's that awareness when you ask for forgiveness, I have committed a sin. I have done something that is not right. I've done something that is unholy. It's that awareness when I go into that to ask for, I'm asking for forgiveness because I want to be forgiven for what I've done that's unholy. That's what I got out of walking into Yom Kippur and just sitting and, and praying. This Yom Kippur was continued every day. What have I done today that's unholy that I can make holy? And how does, how does Simchas Torah follow after Yom Kippur? It's like you run out of tears, you can't cry anymore. Okay, so now let's be happy. <laughs> <laughs> how does all that seriousness of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur how does that express itself in, in the joy of Simchas Torah or Sukkot? How does sadness lead to happiness? If there isn't an element of happiness within the sadness. So it's like, first I'm aware that I went against God's will. That I angered him. And that's regrettable. But then I stop and think, I can anger him. <laughs> what I do can mean something to him. He was watching. He noticed. He cares. He hurts from something I did or didn't do. If that's not a reason to be happy, I don't know what is. Yes, sir. And what you, what you just said is something... That got me. Once I got to that moment in my life, which you just said, every abandonment issue I ever had flew out the window and was gone. How was no abandonment? There was no abandonment with Hashem. Hashem doesn't abandon me. I abandon Hashem. You know, I mean, I mean, if I'm in a take it whether that abandonment issue happens when people when they lose a loved one, somebody very close to them. You know, God forbid, a husband when loses a wife, the wife loses a husband, your parents, a child, something where you're incredibly sad and you go, oh, I'm by myself, I'm alone. I realize I'm not alone. I miss them. They're an important point of my life. I'm going to miss them. I'm going to grieve the life that's lost, of course. But I'm not alone. 
this idea we talked about that briefly before that idea about being alone how can i be alone if 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 i have a relationship with hashem that i can't conceive of loneliness i i can't conceive of i'm alone anymore when that happens because it's always there some it's hashem's always there i can always plug into it i can every every single waking hour and even even when i'm asleep i can plug into that so why would i be alone and that doesn't mean that god can't be angry at you even while he's holding you by the hand sure a good parent will do that won't they in fact, that's what parents should do. When you're angry with your child and you want to criticize him, do it while holding his hand, not twisting his arm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but then, but oh, Rabbi, oh no, oh no! You know what's going to happen now? Now you're going to get cards and letters saying, "Oh, you're giving them a mixed message." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's a mixed message you're giving them. <laughs> yeah, you got to Maybe that's the name of a new book. It's Hashem giving us mixed messages. <laughs> you got to worry about people who take everything wrong. Yeah. But you know, if they don't have a sense of humor, I, I don't know what to do to help them. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the truth. Isn't <laughs> that the truth? Yeah. And I found that, and, and I'm asked that too, you know, what, what do you do when you're around people that don't have a sense of humor? And I say, get away from them. <laughs> That's what you do. You're not going to make them laugh. You're not going to get them to all of a sudden, magically out of nowhere, be able to think funny and think absurd and ridiculous and funny thoughts. You're not going to convince them of that. And even that is hilarious. <laughs> a person doesn't get a joke, an obvious joke. And they just sit there with that blank look. That is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> it is to me. It is to me. I learned a long time ago as a, as a professional comedian, just because they're not laughing doesn't mean it's not funny. <laughs> they don't get it. Yeah. And yeah. some people are incapable of getting certain things. You got to think that in order to survive. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's true too as a comedian. But you, you hope that doesn't happen more than maybe, maybe uh, two minutes in an evening yeah. <laughs> when you're entertaining. If that happens, it's not them; it's you. Yeah. Oh, or it also could be the, it also could be the way that I'm laying it out is explaining that. And and I think that I think that's if I may, I think that's the beauty. I, I wanted. I, was, I started studying Tanya, and I asked a guy to, to, that if he wanted to study with me. He goes, oh no, no, that's too complicated. I don't, I don't get. I mean, he's Jewish. He goes, I don't get that stuff at all. I, I'm lost, and don't, and don't get that stuff at all. And then, so when I listen to your your uh, audios at Chabad.org, and then I study with another rabbi and listening to it, then it's laid out to me in a different way. I can understand it. It's the same thing with humor. If I'm going to explain a joke or do something to somebody, I have to make sure if I'm doing a joke in New York City. And it's the same joke that I'm doing in Texas. I have to make sure they understand the basis of what I'm talking about or they're never going to get it. And it's the same thing, I believe, with studying Tanya, too. Yeah. So what do you, what do, you do when you're on stage and you uh, tell this joke and nobody laughs? What do you do? Sometimes I'll look at him and go, really, you don't get that? <laughs> and I'll start laughing. Do you, do you, do you get the joke? <laughs> and then somebody will say, I don't think that's funny. And I'll go, I do. <laughs> but then I will laugh and say, but I better move on and find more stuff that you guys like. Mm. <laughs> See, I will admit the moment on stage, Rabbi. I admit the moment when I'm doing comedy. If it's not funny, and then, or, or I'll go, and, and some people go, I don't get it. I mean, the audience, I will talk to the audience. They're a part of my show. I don't talk at them. They're with me. So if, I, if, if I'm telling something funny, and they go, I don't get it. I'll explain it. And here's what you hope for. Oh, mm. <laughs> that's what you hope for. Yeah. And then, then something magical happens at that moment. You're with them, and they know you're with them, and they know you're a good guy. They know you're a good person, and you want to entertain them. You want to bring them joy, and you're not, uh, you don't think you're better than them. You don't think you're smarter than them. And a moment like that can endear you to an audience 
almost better than anything that you could ever do than being funny because they see the realness in you and they see that you're a good person. It's the humility. Yes, sir. Because it is humbling when nobody laughs at your joke. <laughs> it does humbling, bring out the humble. Gary. <laughs> it brings out the humble in you. And if you just admit you know, it, that's perfect. Yeah, see, when, when, when you're giving a sermon, you can start off with a joke, and and you got a little backup behind it. It's called the Torah. The only thing I got behind me is more jokes that I hope they get. Yeah. Beautiful. It's always a pleasure. My pleasure, sir. I look forward to talking more to you about this, and, and I, I want to start sending you more of the uh, – um, the ideas in the book because I just started. Uh, I just started this the book and it's uh, called "You Just Have to Laugh." My next work and it's "You Just Have to Laugh," and it's it's called the proof. And the proof is what uh, the proof is pretty much let there be light. And 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 all the different references that will mean throughout the Tanya, the Talmud, and the Torah, and through the true stories that people tell me. And then I take those stories, which is nothing more than a parable, isn't it? And I present that to the folks and go here, like I did with a guy that, you know, that lost uh, his leg to diabetes and that whole story. I will put that out and talk about why the lightness helped through the darkness. Beautiful, beautiful. Looking forward to our next Looking session. Looking forward. I too. Thanks so much. Be well, be blessed. You too. Bye-bye. If you want to support It's Good to Know in the work of Rabbi Manus Friedman, please visit itsgoodtoknow.org forward slash support to join the community. This is the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, changing your life for the better, one idea at a time. Like it, share it, and leave us a review. Tune in next week for more ideas that change the world. Let's change the world.